looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Mmm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Mm -mm Mmm-mm-mm. Don't mess with me, I'm one crazy mofo. Hey there, Friday fans. We know how much you enjoy the movies. Enjoy grabbing your Friday merchandise and interacting with the Friday family, whether it be at conventions or during our particular watch-alongs. Well, when you're looking to get yourself masks, why not check out our friends over at Camp Blood Customs out of New York State and order your specific custom mask from any other films. All orders are made specifically. Your needs and wants are. Make sure you find Camp Blood Customs on Facebook, Instagram, and all over social media and order yours today. Not all football helmets are created equal. Zenith. The industry leader in protective technology is the only helmet in the game with adaptive head protection featuring a shock suspension system that can move independently from the helmet shell. Headquartered and developed in Detroit, Zenith is committed to player safety and revolutionary innovation. Zenith is proud to protect athletes at every level from peewee to the pros. Learn more about the Zenith difference at zenith.com. That's X-E-N-I-T-H.com.
This is Moondog Ed Moretti, 2021, still kicking, still alive, listening to Crazy Train Radio from Hidden Valley Lake, California. And just remember, it's only one step from the jungle to the zoo, baby. Love you all. Take care. Hey folks, it's your least favorite host in the podcast world, Croc, Jonathan Steele. And I'm Elena, your favorite host from the Emerald Isles. And boy, do we have a good one for you today. Well, well, well. A little 24-hour delay, but it is what it is, and that is totally my fault. But the next guest we got currently on the phone line is known for his 33 plus year career a majority of it up in the pacific northwest but i think dr mike lano as loopy as he may or may not be could give a good introduction on this guest so dr mike and he says loopy because i told him i'm a little loopy i had uh, some knee scoping eddie i didn't tell you that was why i was hoping we would have done this yesterday first the two knee ah. operations so on on some pain meds but ed moretti moondock ed moretti is one of the nicest guys in the world he had an incredible wrestling career he came up the right way the way i like seeing people as fans he loved the business he still loves the business he's a master historian storyteller big heart all of these things honest which we rarely see in the carny world of wrestling hold on uh, you said honest what 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 honest i try to be yes and <laughs> and he just is so impressive i mean he was the next incarnation of lonnie moondock maine who we all loved i was lucky enough to see him work both in la and san francisco but let me just shut up and uh, throw to you jonathan and uh, Moondog Ed Moretti, the man, the myth, the legend. Oh, I'm doing awesome. I, I appreciate you having me on. Um, I was very excited to hear that uh, you guys wanted to have me on, and uh, I'm ready to go. Awesome. Well, I know this is probably a basic question. I kind of understand because of the history, where I think I might understand where you'll go with this, but... Where did the interest in wrestling happen for you? When I was three years old, my brother would watch wrestling religiously. And this was like, that would be 1961. And he said one time while he was watching wrestling on TV from San Francisco, he said, I told him that I was pointing at the TV saying, that's what I want to do. That's me. That's me. And ever since then, I can remember Every time I saw it come on TV, I was just like glued to the TV. And then later on in years, I think it was around 1967, I found a wrestling magazine. Didn't know anything about those. I found a wrestling magazine in a drugstore, and then I was hooked. I was gone. I <laughs> ordered every back issue I could order. I'd save all my allowances and I was a uh, paper boy and I'd use all my money to buy wrestling magazines. And it just went on from there to, you know, doing wrestling, uh, getting wrestling things in the mail, you know, and talking to people on the phone that I met at the matches. I'd start going to matches and that was it. I was gone. 
and still to this day, here we go, 2001, still talking about my love, wrestling. And then we'll fast forward to 2021, but all, <laughs> all good. Obviously, did I say 2001? Yes, you did, I'm sir. I'm sorry, I meant 2021. Too many head injuries. Yeah, boy, Too a couple of Eddie has taken some chair shots. Yeah. A few. I tried not to, but a lot of times I'd miss and hit the post or a turnbuckle a little harder than I wanted to, and so you'd have, you know, damage. Well, what's the old saying? It certainly isn't ballet. But during right, that time exactly. growing up, and and this was before tape trading and all that stuff, but through the magazines and everything, who were some of the right. favorite wrestlers and workers you enjoyed? Well, my idol was always, even when I thought he was a bad man because I was a little kid and hated him, but he was always my idol. I wanted to be like him was Ray Stevens. And uh, I still to this day, he was, he's still my idol. I got to work with him a couple times in different, in uh, San I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't ask for anything more. Somebody's just trying to call. So it's just going to, I'm going to just let it go. But um, yeah, he was my idol. And then, Later on, I started idolizing other guys too, but Ray was my main idol, and he was all—he was like wrestling to me. He was—he was the guy I wanted to see. Well, Doctor Mike, uh, and being that you are a California guy, LA was your territory, but I know you did stuff in San Francisco as well. well what- LA was my primary home base. Yes, um, I grew up just the way Eddie did. I helped run the Fred Blassie fan club. And then while doing that, I started the Tolis brothers fan club as Eddie and I were talking last night about this. Uh, and, and then had Theo Arrett, who's a legend of the pro wrestling illustrated. And he goes back to like 1959 with uh, Stan Weston, who was my magazine boss. He started wrestling review. And then in the sixties, the wrestler inside wrestling, which uh, got added to uh, pro wrestling illustrated came out of that, which, now it's like a quarterly, but I, or every other month, I still write and shoot for them. But San Francisco is my secondary home base. And right. particularly when Alan Bolte, who obviously Eddie and I know very, very well, took over from Victor Berry as not just the guy doing the program, which Bolte changed to action wrestling. And Eddie, remember it, the transition went from Swensky, who was Shire's policeman and promoted San Jose right. for him. And was a world NWA junior champion, as we were talking, Jonathan and I, uh, with Leroy McGurk's daughter, Mike, uh, last month. But um, he uh, also did, actually, he did an incredible job with the program. If you remember those glossies, the red and white. Yeah, but you know what the problem with that was, is it was always, it was always like he'd use old photos of people. They didn't even look like that anymore. And and they so were always, yeah, he always reused the photos. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, and, and then Victor Berry, but then Bolte. And then I started coming up even before I could drive. Uh, I would fly up from LA to San Francisco because the cards that Shires had were so incredible. This is after we lost uh, Blassie for good, even though we would make annual treks in and right. Ross took off. You know, So I looked at San Francisco. I go, man, this is A, sort of like a Leroy McGurk Jr. territory, smaller but superbly talented wrestlers, the Pepper Gomez, 
Rocky, I mean, it was just phenomenal. Pepper, uh, Pepper, and Rocky, and Pat Patterson, and Stevens, and all of these right, exactly. heels that came before. Like when you were watching. So anyway, I would come up there, and Bolte started listing me as the official photographer for Action Wrestling, which was his program, which was almost like a, a mini page magazine. The way he was doing them, it, it was great. Yeah, it was good. And and Mike, I knew about you when I was like much younger from the from the things you were shooting, like in like you said, Los Angeles or Japan, when I finally found Japan magazines, I, I saw you all the time in there shooting, you know, stuff for that. So I knew of you long before you knew of me. But I regret, so, I regret because I have lots of our thing because there were no newsletters then. Our right. thing in the 70s was fan clubs. And, and if, if you get a wrestler degree to, you know, like Joe Podkaiser ran, uh, Ray Stevens fan club, I believe. I don't know if you were involved with the newsletter. I'm sure you. Oh yeah, I got a story on that. If you want to hear it, sure. I I subscribed to that, or I I paid my dues to get in the Ray Stevens fan club with this Joe Potkeezer guy, <laughs> and he sent me he sent me a picture of Ray Stevens, an old uh, an old mimeographed uh, thing of some matches with Ray Stevens with results in it. And a uh, membership card with with someone else's name on it. <laughs> and when well, I wrote him back, I ne I never heard from him again. Never heard from him again. He was so, uh, he was kind of an oddball. He was at um, Ray's funeral. He was at uh, 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 well, no, he wasn't at Ferbs. He was at Ray's funeral. He was at a couple others. Mitsu Arakawa's was another. Swenskis. Yeah, Swenskis. He brought he was Swenskis. He was Swensky's runner. I, I, I he was Stucci, but he would get all bent out of shape. We would ask him to come. Uh, in my case, I was asking him to come to Cauliflower Alley. He did a couple of times our Los Angeles ones, which are the, the best, better yeah. than the Vegas stuff. But uh, he would also get squirrely. He brought uh, Pampero Furpo to raise. He drove him there to, fur, uh, to raise funeral at the. Uh, that Ray's ex-wife, Teresa Thies, who was a fantastic lady wrestler, who claims she helped break him in with a couple of others in Tennessee. But, uh, you know, people would go up and, you know, say hi to, to Ferp uh, before the thing started. And like Joe said, we're out of here. And they left early. Joe was like really, he was a real estate yeah. guy. He passed away about eight years ago. And, you know, yeah, I don't like to talk bad about the dead, but I couldn't stand that guy. And I couldn't stand John Swensky either. Well, that, that's a whole other thing. It's like Bolte and yeah. I, whenever we see each other, we go, we imitate Swinsky. Kids, get away from that ring. And he'd yell. Yeah, and that's scream. him. That's him right there. And, and then he'd have, he'd have a big, a big, uh, uh, what is it? A, a golf club in his hand all the time. He'd say, where's your ticket? Where's your ticket, you little bastard? And I'd show him my ticket and he'd get all pissed off because I had a ticket. He thought I'd uh -huh. snuck in every time. To one of his shows. You know, yeah, I, I don't know if I told you, either of you guys, but wrestling photography put me through dental school and all that stuff. I was in downtown San Francisco. But when I was uh, taking my board exams and stuff going to school there, I needed patients. I, I had Ray. I had Therese, Teresa, <laughs> Mitsu. Uh, Ken Ramey came in a couple of times. Uh, and wow. then I had my own office. I was donating dentistry to people in need. Now, Pepper Gomez lived like two miles from me in Alameda. He lived on Santa Clara yeah. and he and Bonnie, it was his last wife who was very 
sweet. We, my wife and I looked after her when Pepper died, uh, Pepper Joseph Gomez, but they didn't have much money. So and he was having all the liver problems. I had him on my TV show a couple of times, the old canvas cavity show asking for a liver match, which I should really dub you. So <laughs> you don't think I'm working you, but I did free dentistry on him and John Swensky and Swensky was given a free room because of his history at, at the Pam Pam Hotel, which was like Shire's Hotel. I forget if he put the boy. What was the deal with the Pam Pam Hotel in downtown San Francisco? I don't know. I just always knew that every everything that, that Swensky made, every program Swensky made was it had the big thing. Meet at the Pam 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 uh whatever the hell restaurant. The place where all the wrestlers eat and all I never heard of it, but it was always in that uh in that in his uh, programs. I'm going to make this quick. So when I had my own dental practice at the 450 Sutter Medical Building, uh, downtown Union Square, San Francisco, I did a lot of free dentistry for him. And he was living at Pam Pam's and I went to over there, you know, they were allowing him to live free and they allowed him to put his famous, he had a boxing video collection. It went back to like 1890s stuff. Yeah, I and heard that too. All that I stuff. And, but then he got Alzheimer's and dementia really bad. I would see him when I would uh, walk up from BART, the BART train system, the subway to my office, sure. a couple of blocks. And he was roaming around at seven thirty in the morning. He didn't know who he was. I had heard that Pam Pam had kicked him out. So he was living at a, uh, I don't know where he went, but we don't even know. It, like we heard they had tossed out his boxing film collection, which was priceless. And I never found out what happened to that. And I really felt bad because he was, well, he was nice because I was given free dentistry, but that's when he still had his marbles. But you know, it was just yeah. really sad seeing a guy of this caliber. I mean, he was a world-class athlete. He, I think he beat Leroy McGurk uh, before Leroy was fully blind. That was one of the guys. He held the title twice, uh, the NWA World Junior Heavyweight Championship, when that was a big deal. It was second only to the NWA championship but um let me just throw That's out good. I, it's a good thing i didn't do what i wanted to do one time he got me so pissed off in san jose i wanted to leg dive him and see if he could get out of it but <laughs> i never did he, he like, was oh like uh well i remember oh, he was kind of like hodge when he would put the squeeze you know when you'd shake him it was no mark handshake it was no light rolling yeah. or stuff it was right. heavy duty stuff and he oh, just yeah. was like an archetypical wrestling guy cigar in his mouth at times i really miss that because you and i were talking and i mentioned i don't know if you agree a lot of today's yeah. promoters are all young guys you look at the the really class guy today's promoters tony khan of AEW. he's a young it's like a tech billionaire guy i know his dad is yeah yeah but then you know like swensky was like that but then you'd meet louis miller who was totally the opposite, the nicest old guy, talk, wanted to talk wrestling with you, wouldn't chase you away. He'd say, you know, oh, you know, good boys, you know, you're training. He knew we were training, and he never, like, he never tried to discourage us. And he goes, you know, good boys, stay, you know, stay true to the business and this and that. And Swensky was just like a pain in the freaking ass. I mean, I'm going to throw back to Jonathan, but the Louis Miller promoted Oakland. What other towns did he promote? Like I forget oh, who was Modesto uh, and Stockton and Sacramento. Who did those towns? Modesto was uh, Johnny Miller, a guy from a guy from Modesto. He did Modesto and Merced, and then Louis Miller did Oakland, Richmond, 
Pleasanton, uh, any of the spot shows, a lot of the spot shows up this way, like Ukiah and those places like that. He do. I can't remember all the towns he did, but he did a lot of the small towns like that. But he always did them pretty regular, so it was it was good. It was a good territory. And and so, so when Roy would pan, because we had that with LaBelle, that was really what I was most familiar with. He had guys for each town. He had Pete Collins, who ended up later on as probably one of the worst heel managers on TV. But he started as just a promoter for Mike LaBelle. Yeah in San Diego and Jeff Walton started doing El Monte. And right. that was where, that's right. where I, I saw, I remember. and I've talked to Dave Persinski, who, you know, who was like the King of Detroit. He was in the office. Absolutely. Uh, still talked to him to this day. We need to get all of us that are still alive, but Dave uh, Supermouth, his real name is Dave uh, Persinski, but Dave Drayson was right. his right. name. But uh, right. I, I tell him I, I that was, Really, the only time I ever saw Ernie Roth, the Grand Wizard, then as Sheik's manager, Abdullah Farouk, actually get in the ring and wrestle. It was the Tolis brothers against uh, Ernie Roth as uh, Abdullah Farouk and the Sheik in El Monte. And it was an incredible shit town packed to the rafters. I think there was a good 4,000 people. It was an amazing card, you know, so... I don't mean that in a disrespectful way to El Monte because most all my relatives, no, I got you. I got but it was a, a little tiny town, but amazing. These spot show matches weren't, it wasn't like Vern where you had like the same card from place to place. They would break right. it up and it, it, you would see stuff you would not see at the crown jewel of Mike LaBelle, the Olympic auditorium or Roy's case, the crown jewel being the cow palace, which is still and incredible. I love that building. I Me thought too. I was in heaven because I was shooting there before I went to Madison Square Garden or Caracuan Hall. So I'll shut up and throw to Jonathan. I'm, I'm sure he's chomping. A little bit. And I was going to bring something else when I first uh, went to question you, Mike, but it's okay. We'll, it's a different topic we can bring up on a different day. But Ed, you mentioned about your training and yeah. we know everything on the internet is true. But I heard <laughs> this little rumor said you were training in coma in a friend's backyard, which eventually led correct. to you, which eventually that. led to you running into Buddy Rose, another mainstay at Pacific Northwest, who introduced you to correct. Red Bastine, yada yada yada. So can you tell that story? Absolutely. Um, a bunch of friends of mine, including Roland Alexander at the time. We would all meet at the matches and talk about how we all wanted to get in the business and this and that. And so I said, you know, we're never going to, we're never going to get in the business because we have no place to train. We found a place in San Jose called the YMCA and it had a huge mat room in there. So we'd go in there and train in there with the door closed. There was probably 10 of us at the time and we'd all train in there and try different stuff. And, you know, we didn't have we didn't have a clue about kayfabe or anything like that. I mean, we we knew that the boys kayfabe, but we didn't know why or anything like that, except for like there were heels, there were baby faces. But we we did it properly. We learned from watching. No pro ever came down and trained us. Now Roland had been trained a little bit by uh, Rocky Johnson, and another couple couple of guys had. Rocky had had him in the ring with them. So they knew kind of like what they were doing. And we, myself and my friends from Daly City knew what we were doing, like Steve Pardee and myself. But we didn't really know 
Exactly. You know what I'm saying? So we kind of learn through each other. And finally, I said, this is this is crazy. We have no ropes. We have no mat. We have no no ring. So we built one in Colma at my friend Steve Sturgeon's house, who worked for Roland for a while as a I think he was on a color commentary and had one one wrestling match. He just wanted to do one. And he did one in Roland's APW. And so we had a ring in our backyard, and we were doing pretty good. It was a pretty good, nice ring. We were doing good. We let the we let the neighbors come and watch for free, and we kayfabe. We had juice. We had everything, and it was just like it was like we were doing pro style wrestling, and we were like maybe sixteen, seventeen. Some of the guys were a little older than that, but we were doing it on a pretty regular basis. And then we did a couple house shows. We did one in Fremont at a high school, and we did one in, uh, uh, where was it, Redwood City at Sequoia High School, and we were all worried because we knew Pat lived down there, and we're going, well, what if Pat shows up? He'll want to kill us all for, for, you know, doing these shows, and we weren't charging any money. It was like a donation thing, and so... That's how he did. And finally, uh, I was hanging around, you know, wrestling. I'd go to all the matches I could go to when I got a driver's license. I went to pretty much everything that Roy had. And uh, we'd fly down to L.A. once in a while because it was $25 to fly to L.A. on a round-trip ticket. Me and Steve Hardy would fly down there to the Olympic Auditorium and watch some stuff. What, what, what was uh, the yeah. show? Actually, let us let me uh, – I could just throw this, throw this through Jonathan's mouth – what was the first card you ever went to, if you remember the matches on a Roy show and the first card? I know you said it was when uh, Chavo probably pushed out Leo Garibaldi as Booker or pissed him off. And Chavo. Right. So what card did you see in L.A.? But first, which was your first card? Uh, for My first card for Roy was in the Cow Palace. And I believe it was the first uh, Bruno San Martino Roy Shire card. Or Stevens, Ray the- Stevens match. Ray Stevens, yeah, I'm sorry. Bruno San Martino and Ray Stevens, yeah, for the world title. But it was title versus title. It was Ray's title versus title. title. Yeah, Ray's US title versus Bruno's WF. And it was, so tell us about that. It was the first of, uh, were there three? Was it two or three? There was two. 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 They brought him back later, and uh, I can't remember exactly what happened. I have both programs, but. I went to both of them, and I think the first one, though, the first one they did was my first match I ever went to live. And how was so, the crowd? Were they out of there? Was the crowd insane? <laughs> oh, it was unbelievable. I know the Cow Palace seated exactly 14,706 for wrestling. That was chairs. You could get more in standing room. Hanging from think, the rafters, brother. Exactly. And I think I think there was Stevens and San Martino was in the thirteen thousand area like that. It was pretty full. So he wasn't a regular. He hadn't been there since uh, like sixty one. You know that story very quickly. Vin, uh, Bruno was actually because you know I was talking to Bruno at least every uh, Sunday, but uh, the last until he passed away for like thirty years, but. Um, he uh, he said that uh, Vince Senior had gotten him banned. This was before he put the strap. Begged him to come back in '63 because Rogers wasn't drawing as the new champion. Right. 
and right. begged Bruno to come back. He went all the way up to Toronto, which was the only place. So prior for a couple of two years, because Bruno was very outspoken about Buddy abusing jobbers and, and being a, a dickhead and blah, blah, right. blah. And I think he witnessed when Dr. Big Bill Miller and Carl Gotch, two of the greatest. Slapped the shit years. out of them, yeah. Yeah, slapped the shit out of Rod. And so he, Vince Sr. got Bruno banned I don't know how he did it uh, through Munchnik or whatever, but uh, so the only place Bruno was able to work was for Shire and he's in the dressing room in 1961 or maybe it was January of 62. Cause that's when uh, Roy Shire started. He was on Shire's first card, Mike. Oh, he was wow. on Roy's first card. Do you remember who he worked for? Cause I'd have to look up those programs in storage. Who I'd have to look it up too. I'd have to look it up too, but he was on Shire's first card. Well, what Bruno said, he's in the, the, the dressing room of the Cow Palace. Shire comes and says, uh, Vince Sr., just give me the edict. I can't use you tonight. I'll pay you or something like that. And Bruno was really depressed. But Bruno said that Shire said, the only guy who's not going to honor this blackballing by Vince Sr. is uh, Tunney in Toronto. Not Frank, but mm. it was Jack Tunney, the real promoter, not the figurehead WWF. So Bruno went up there right. and started selling out immediately with amazing cards and all of this stuff. And uh, so th that was kind of the, the story there. So, so th I don't think the San Francisco fans in 67, 68 were uh, probably didn't even remember Bruno. They probably saw him and remembered him from the magazines, but he wasn't, right. he didn't sell out the place because he just wasn't, you know, an ongoing regular baby face the way Peter Mavia or et cetera were. Right. Or well, the thing was, I, what I heard, what I heard was the fans knew who Bruno was because from the magazines and at that time, I don't think Ray was part of the NWA. He was part of the WWA, and, or Roy, I should say. I'm sorry. And right. so, so when Bruno came in, a lot of people knew who he was. Plus, they built him like a, a freaking, you know, monster on TV. Just totally, he was the shit, you know, and and uh, he was the guy. And so they, you know, told him that he was he was the WWF champion and all this stuff. So they educated him. Roy did it perfectly, really. He was so a master of television. Roy was yes, a genius. He was. Roy was a genius on so many levels. You know, he had some faults, obviously. I saw him in the, the back. You know, when I moved up finally and could actually work out of the office with his publicist, Davey Rosenberg, I moved up in January 78 and I already was being listed as the official. There weren't any photographers there shooting ringside. And I know you helped me out yeah. a couple of times as a young punk. Uh, giving yeah. up the first row seat for me to shoot. But um, when I, I came up there, I would see like Roy chew out jobbers. I think he chewed out Steve once. Didn't Steve work Steve Pardee under a hood? No, he worked. He chewed out Steve one time. It wasn't at the cow palace. It was at TV because Steve had gotten juice somewhere close by in another town. And when he came to TV, he was working with buddy Rose and Buddy helped both of us get in the business. So, you know, he trusted Steve and everything and, and opened Steve up. And Roy didn't want him opened up on TV because Steve uh, was not, you know, in the in the mix as far as like main event guy or anything like that. So just it was one of those things. Steve just said, I can't help it, Roy. You know, <laughs> came open. He, so, but he, I saw Roy also make Woody Farmer cry. He He just really laid into him for missing a spot or two, you know, uh, and the funny thing about yeah. Woody Farmer though, in Kansas city for Bob Geigel, Jonathan, 
the very first title Shawn Michaels ever held was the uh, mid or the Central States Tag Titles with Woody Farmer for promoter Bob Geigel, who I think was wow. then NWA uh, president. So you know, Woody was one of the nicest, sweet guys too. We had our share of guys. Let me shut up. Throw back to Jonathan. And Ed, you know, I'm sure you've heard of this because you keep abreast of everything. But I was uh, nice enough to, or lucky enough, I should say, to join uh, Mike and Evan and a few other guys on their show, Coast to Coast, a couple weeks ago. And I said that I'll shut up should be a T-shirt for Mike. <laughs> well, but it's so educational to hear them. That's exactly. I, you know what I'm saying? But to be honest with you, John, I, I, uh, I'm really not that up on wrestling these days. Since about the 1990s, I kind of, I kind of drifted away. Like when when Portland Wrestling shut down, uh, the new version of Portland Wrestling shut down. I think it was about, oh, I guess it was 2005. Yeah, I, and I had to come home to California because my mom was very sick, and we moved back to California, and I'm in the house where we moved back to right now to this day. And she passed away a couple of years later. Hmm. But ever since then, I've been kind of like, I feel like I'm a leper. I, I'm not around wrestling. I don't, there's no wrestlers around here. There, there's some local ham and egger guys, you know, that are, that, that just, I, it's just horrible. I mean, and I don't mean that to be critical of the new business, but I just mean, these guys are horrible. And so they're around the area, but they don't, you can't, you can't speak Carney to it. They don't know anything. They don't know kayfabe, nothing like that. They're just, they're just glorified fucking guys that got stuff off the internet, I guess. Anyway. I, I want to interject here because I was going to ask you if it makes you sad. I, I will. I didn't oh. mention this last night. When I go into locker rooms with today's kids, the majority don't know. They don't even know what Carney is, let alone how to speak it, which is very depressing right. for me. That lost. And you know, and you're right, Mike, but, you know, a lot of people see Carney as a bad thing. They were Carnies, they say. But you know what? That's where we came from. You know, it's like, it's, like, it's like telling a hooker, shame on you. You know, you shouldn't do that. Well, how are they supposed to make a living? You know what I mean? That's how they're doing. They're, that's how they're making their living. And the pimp's making a living off of them. Carnies were just making a living, and they had to do it that way. They had to be the way they were because they were swerving the public. But that doesn't – I mean – Shame on you, right? No, I, I mean the, la the, the language, Fire the speaking language. Oh of yeah, they don't, they don't. That's what I'm saying. No, I. That's what I'm they saying. don't. They, they don't know don't, it. They don't speak it. We speak it here at home. Me and my wife speak Carney almost exclusively here here at home, <laughs> just so we don't forget it. Well, Jim Ross on AEW. Uh, I forget why he brings that up, Jonathan. Why does he bring up uh, any kind of? It's not it's not real. Maybe it's Southern Carney because uh, Jim Cornette said there are, were different dialects of Carney and even Okugai right. in Japan. They had a Carney. And uh, obviously in Mexico, they had their own version. I forget what that one's called. To and communicate so did England. Well. England has its own Carney. Wow. It's 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 uh, called uh, it's it, what is it called? English uh, Cornish something or other. And yeah, I can speak that a little bit. And then there's a thing that Buddy Rose taught me called high carny, which you mix carny and pig Latin together. <laughs> Give us an example so, of, of each of those, could you? Okay, uh, carny is like my name would be 
E is at me is Moondog Marie is at E, right? That's right. my name, Ed Moondog Moretti. But in Pig Latin, let me see. I haven't talked Pig Latin for so long. It'd be, uh, let's see. Jeez, I can't even do it right now. I can't even do the Pig well, Latin. Well, there's the uh, Ixnay. Yeah, Ixnay. But one, I can do one word, Carney, but sentences are hard. I can do long sentences in regular Carney, but Pig Latin Carney is a lot harder. And, and then what, what is UK Carney? How does that work? It's English. It's a uh, British. God, I just I just had the word too, and I can't think of it. it it's a uh, it's it's a British carny, and like instead of saying "Do you have your boots on?" they'd say, "Mate, have you got your Daisy roots?" <laughs> Daisy roots rhyme with boots. It's <laughs> Cornish. It's Cornish rhyming. Yeah, that's it's called Cornish rhyming stuff. If you look it up in the internet, it pops up. Yeah. English English. Cornish. So did it come from carnivals before wrestling? Like I Arthur? don't know that. It must have. It must have in England anyway. It must have, and I know Carney came from our Carneys from the you know the the touring. I think the first people to speak Carney were the Gypsies, yeah. and then and then and then Carney came from that. But yeah, I don't know hardly any new guys that speak it. They've heard of it, you know, guys. Oh no, I don't speak that, or they not, or they haven't heard of it. But I haven't been in a dressing room though since. Ooh, let's see, my last match. I had my last match was 2010. I hadn't had a match for five years since then, and it was on Roland's APW show. He said, "We're coming to Santa Rosa, Ed. Would you like to work?" And I said, eh, yeah, but put me in like first or second match. Cause I don't want to embarrass anybody. <laughs> Excuse me. So I, I did the first or second match and I wrestled the guy. He was working under a hood as Mr. Wrestling three. And oh yeah. 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 That was one of his uh, trainers at the gym. He took good care of me and, and made me look like, like not such an old fucking man, you know? So, it was good. So that, but that was my last match. I uh, hung everything up, and I still got it right in front. I'm looking at it right now. I'm looking at my wrestling bag that I used to go on tour with, and I'm going, Jesus Christ, that's been locked up for there for almost 20 years, almost 25 years. It's crazy. It's crazy. Well, you brought it with you because you were on both nights of King of the Indies, which begat Ring of Honor, Evolve, Shimmer Shine, all of right. those things that came later. You were on that, and I was trying to use that as a screenshot tonight, but my wife's not here to help me out with it. Uh, you locking up with Brian Alvarez, you know, who's now yeah. figure four newsletter partner, Dave Meltzer at The Observer. You were locking <laughs> up with him. So much talent on that thing. Spanky Brian Kendrick was in that thing. So, right. And it all culminated with uh, Brian Danielson as American Dragon. Now Daniel Bryan beating Loki in the finals. Yes. Samoa Joe, Chris Daniels, Adam Pierce, Scrap Iron Adam Pierce, who's now the figurehead WWE. You don't even know that. Our Adam Pierce from yeah. uh, Rick Bassman's promotion, he's now the figurehead commissioner for both Raw and SmackDown. I didn't have a clue. I didn't have a clue. 
And he's doing a, a really killer job. He's not a heel, and it's unusual. He's doing it as a rational face. Jonathan, you know all of that uh, history of Adam Pierce. You know, another superbly nice guy, completely loves the business like Eddie and I, just salivates for history. You know, you bring up Tiger Mask Sayama or Dynamite Kid or any of that stuff, and he wants to hear it, see it, talk it. Absolutely. Oh, God. But uh, I, I didn't even know that. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. I wanted to bring up, and I know we're bouncing all over the place here. Yeah, you can ask me anything. Right on. I'm curious to know, because in the 90s, I heard you were working with the Oregon, or excuse me, try to say English, Oregon Wrestling and Boxing Commission. So when you were doing that, when you were doing that, some of the guys who were still around from your generation, did they think you were kind of turning on them because of their old school values? Absolutely. They thought I was a stooge for the commission. Uh, I had a problem with Sandy Barr over that because what I was trying to do is here, here was the bottom line. I mean, I've, I've explained this in, in length before to people and they get it, but the bottom line, I kind of shortened it. Now the bottom line is the Oregon boxing and wrestling commission was all made of boxing people. They had no clue about wrestling. So when they got the rule book and all that shit that they had to they had to adhere to and I had to adhere to, I saw the rules in there were just like from the 1920s when wrestling was more like a shoot, a worked shoot. And back then, you know, you couldn't go out of the ring. You couldn't, you know, throw a guy over the top, all that. You couldn't do any of that stuff. And these were all boxing guys trying to make us adhere to the rules from back then. So I said to myself, I've been here forever. Don Owens is pretty much using me and, you know, just here and there in opening matches. And he knows I'm homesteading because I was running a motel mm-hmm. in Canby, Oregon with my wife. We were running a motel and I'd go and wrestle at night. So I said, I'm going to get on the boxing and wrestling commission. So they have a wrestler to represent them. And so that's what I did. And instead of saying it was a good thing, people like Sandy Barr kind of, and even Don Owens kind of went, oh, he's going to expose our business and make it a bad thing. It wasn't, I didn't expose the business. I mean, they, a lot of these guys that were, they could care less what wrestling was like. As long as we were bringing in the, the tax money, they could care less. And I met a guy that was the head of the Boxing and Wrestling Commission named Bruce Anderson. Ugh. And he was he was a very, very nice guy. But he didn't like the wrestlers. He didn't like the wrestlers that would like try to swerve their way. It, it was it was up to the it was up to the state. They wanted us to have piss tests to make sure no one was on steroids or, or any dangerous drugs. And he was very strict with that. But other than that, he was pretty. He was pretty much, uh, pretty much, go ahead and do it. Just as don't be stupid, you know that type thing. And he was. Kind I also of, used to write horror old. stories about the Oregon and Washington State athletic commissions, and in particular Bruce Anderson, who Meltzer kind of yeah. portrayed but as was, an egomaniac. So I'm hearing but he was a nice guy. He wasn't. He was just doing. He just tried to do his job, and 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 hope people wouldn't kill themselves. That's, that's what his whole thing is. And, and the rest of the guys were just boxing 
either boxing promoters or boxing, you know, the guys that, uh, what were they called, ring men that would come in and, and do the boxers, wipe them down and stuff like that. They didn't know shit. And especially about, especially about wrestling. So I got on the commission. I was on there for a year and a half. They put me, after I was on there for about six months, they said, we're going to make you the uh, vice president of the boxing and wrestling commission. And I said, no, no, thanks. I, I think uh, I've done what I can do here as much as I could. And it just got me a lot of heat. So I just, I finally resigned from it and uh, went back to wrestling when I could. I mean, uh, Don Owens wouldn't use me for a while. And when he brought me back, it was just, uh, just a, a farce. So <clears throat> I was wrestling out of Oregon. Did you ever do a, a, a fake, a faux shoot for Elton Owen? <laughs> oh, yeah, we all did. <laughs> for money. That, that was, for money. That was, a week, that was a weekly thing on Fridays. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he thought we were shooting. He'd pay us. He'd go, hey, let me tell you something, kid. Do you know how to shoot? <laughs> and I'd say, no, but I probably could beat you, Elton. He goes, God damn, God damn, don't be a smart ass. I'm going to put you in there with my big shooter, Johnny Eagles. Oh, I'm going to have you guys, I'm going to have you guys shoot. So we go in there and work and Elton would think it was the best thing in the world. We thought we were shooting. So he'd give you $25 extra if you won the shoot. First heard about that story with Elton in this book here, Mike, from uh, Piper, who would always oh. joke about the. And the ask, other, ask Eddie though. Eddie's had a little heat with uh, Roddy, and so uh, I, I know it's a verboten topic. I no longer will bring up uh, Riazad's name to to him. <laughs> no, you can bring it up. It's just I was never enamored with him like everybody else was. You know, people, oh, he's a legend, and all. I go myself. Here's my own opinion, and a lot of people will disagree with me, and that's fine. That's that's you know that's what makes the world go round. Everybody will say Roddy Piper made Buddy Rose. Negative. Buddy Rose made Roddy Piper. Buddy Rose was the one that told Piper, Piper, you need to go to the Carolinas. You need to get the fuck out of here and go to the Carolinas. You need to go to L.A., all that stuff. And and I just always have been, had kind of like a, a pissed-off opinion about that because I didn't ever thought he was the legend that everybody thought he was. I mean, he was good. He was a great talker. But if you watch his matches, is he that great? I mean, is he Ray Stevens? No, he's not. And, and you know, I just thought, like, if he worked with Buddy Rose, it was a great match. Great, fantastic. But, you know, I, I just I was just always, I never saw him as a, as a legend. And it always kind of rubbed me the wrong way when people would go on and on. Oh, Piper's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Well, that's your opinion. Great. But it wasn't mine. I was pretty close to him really briefly because I helped Roddy with the book. A ton of the photos were credited to me. And then a shitload of other photos were ones I'd given him. And it said from the family's archive. So when the kid, the, the children, his Ariel, his daughter, and Colt, the son, put out a book mm-hmm. a couple of years ago on Roddy, they were putting in photos that I had given him. And so I had to have them backtrack. And in the reprint of it, they credited me finally. I got paid. And I've always been close to them. So I spoke at his memorial. The funeral was near Hillsboro, Oregon. I don't know if you went. You might not have oh, gone. Oh, yeah. I live very close to there. You know, their big ranch. I lived in Canby. 
But I then I spoke. Andy. We had the the memorial was in L.A. on Sunset Strip at the uh, the Comedy Store, and they mm. took all of my photos of Roddy from Mid Atlantic, from Georgia, WWF obviously, WCW, and of course L.A. and San Francisco, uh, teaming with or opposing Lonnie Main, depending, you know, because in San Francisco right. Lonnie was a face, Roddy. Tapia. The amazing thing too was uh, very few guys ever uh, were on top in two territories at once, and that's what right. cost money his, his life. And he was driving from L.A. to make the the shot for Shire uh, on that Saturday at the the Cow Palace or TV, I think first. But yeah, they, they were both. He, made of- to, he died on Sunday or Saturday night or Sunday, and he was supposed to be on TV on Monday. I was supposed to meet him there. Cause I was actually his ride uh, from Fairfield. He lived in fair, his family lived in Fairfield. And so I was supposed to meet him there and give him a ride. He never showed up. So I didn't know what happened. And then, then we find out, but here's another little fact about Roddy Piper. When he came to work for Don, before he came to work for Don Owens, he did a couple shots for, uh, Al Tomko. Al Tomko was actually re- related related to his uncle somehow he knew roddy in winnipeg but roddy they brought him down and gave me i was a green guy in in vancouver i had just got there in october i think this was around christmas or or january but if you get the old programs from vancouver it shows me as his manager i was his manager for like two house shows and they called me the macho man (laughs) Before yeah, that was long before, right. long before what's his name had it. But I never kept it because I thought it was a stupid for me, you know, for me a stupid gimmick. And I was Piper's manager, and of all things, he didn't need a manager. He didn't need a spokesman. He was he was his own spokesman. He was a great speaker. I give him that. So, but a lot of people don't know that fact. But if you look, he wasn't that good when he came to LA. Here's his quick history: He uh, Winnipeg to Kansas City, did some shots for Geigel Vin went to Houston, and that's when Paul Bosch, and in particular his booker at the time, the legendary Red Bastine, referred him to Shire, who Red was very close to, you know, on the lesser, to Mike LaBelle in L.A., and he was only supposed to come in and do, he debuted for us, and then he was supposed to go up to San Francisco, but never did. He came in our uh, January 1976, January 1876 Battle Royal, uh, in second from the bottom opener against Tony Rocco. It was a draw. They were, uh, or he was like the shy baby face, did not bring the bagpipes or anything. And within right. a week uh, in San Diego with our genius booker that Chavo pissed off and he finally quit, Leo Garibaldi, who was a legendary mm-hmm. wrestler with his dad, Gino, uh, came up with the whole Piper shtick. But he was very green on the, the mic repetitive and so then gene labelle starts working with them starts you know teaching him some mma and judo and started giving him the the catchphrase uh, uh t-bone steaks and barbell plates but you look at those early they're on youtube unfortunately i have the the, the masters or at least the first generation tapes and uh, roddy wasn't particularly good he was all pimply faced he had bleach blonde hair but soon the labelle gene labelle helping him with the the verbal skills on the stick he then was actively wrestling, actively managing. The first guy he manages is Johnny Rods as a chic knockoff Java Rook. And Johnny right. Rods many times on air has told me, yeah, I picked that so I wouldn't have to change the JR on my boots and my trunks. 
You know, yeah, I, that too. <laughs> I told that to you. And I told that story when we honored him at Cauliflower Alley in 2000, I think it was. Uh, yeah. But and then uh, so he didn't make it for many, many months, maybe a year up to San Francisco, where we were supposed to go for Shire. And then he gets over like a billion bucks there. And uh, and, and but Lonnie May and Moondog Lonnie May, the first one who you very uh, greatly took on for decades afterwards as the, the real moon dog. I don't count those ones that came out of Memphis that also worked for Vince senior, uh, Randy Cully and the rest of them. They were, uh, moon dog, Ed Moretti clones. Well, they, they I never had them. the, I never had the bleach hair and the bone. No. I never did that. I never, it, I, wanted, Lonnie, I never wanted to copy Lonnie. I never wanted to copy Lonnie. I just wanted to work like him. Is there any footage of Lonnie eating the goldfish, eating the broken glass, cutting his chest? Oh up? yeah, lots, lots. Is it it's up on there? YouTube. Well, I, I don't YouTube. mean like I don't mean '76 on, but I mean the the goldfish in the uh, the glass stuff, the Carney uh, geek acts. Yeah, he did it in Sacramento TV. Okay. Ate the goldfish, ate the glass, cut his chest with the glass to show it was real. Oh yeah, it's, uh, Hank Renner was sitting there just like about to pass out i thought but yeah he he uh it's on there you can find him oh one quick thing and then back to jonathan you know yeah. where a shire the last heel manager shire had after guys like mitsu arakara dr ken ramey not very managers for roy but um uh where gary gearhart kaiser got the gearhart that was uh shire's last play-by-play guy that was uh his middle name it was uh uh uh, Hank, no, what was it? Walt Harris, not, not Walt Harris, but it was uh, Hank. Hank Renner. The, yeah, Hank Renner. His uh, middle name was this old German, uh, uh, Gearhart. And that's where ah. uh, Shire, I, I guess it was pretty much Shire. Maybe it was uh, Terry Garvin, you know, put that on. No, it was Shire, right. put that name on uh, Gary Gearhart. Ah. So how do you go from being a, a faux German guy managing the Von Bronners of Von Steigers to the godfather? And he, <laughs> morphs into an Italian Godfather character with curly hair. No, no, none of us knew how either, <laughs> but but we loved him because he was a nice guy and and he really worked hard. Oh yeah, he took all kinds of bumps. Well, anytime Andre came in and uh, if Shire, you know, was part of that man, or excuse me, uh, uh, Gerhard Kaiser, Gary, he would uh, take big, huge yeah. atomic drop bumps. I've got uh, those great shots from the. Well, what was it? It was. Tell us the thing. Didn't you guys ever question why Roy had his battle royals on the first match of the night? We knew why, because a lot of the big names that came in, they wanted to leave early to go to, right. you know, the airport to go to Japan. And so Shire would say, well, so-and-so, the matches, you know, these wrestlers are injured or on their way to the hospital. We won't right. be. Right. He'd usually them. have them get juice and then they wouldn't have to go back out. <laughs> but you would advertise like one of them had the you know, all these incredible matches and the whole card was uh, totally altered other than the opening right. match battle royal. Nobody had, everybody else, Ganya, LaBelle, uh, Leroy McGurk, Eddie Graham, the battle royals were less. They were the main events, but in Roy's case, right. opening match, <laughs> crazy. Right. Cause he, he wanted, and he also wanted to see what the house was going to be like, cause everybody had to get there and get in there to see the battle royal. Therefore, ah, smart. See what I'm saying? You'd see the you'd see pretty much what your house was going to be. When I say how great those battle royals were, and then it, it was really time they for were. me to shut up. That second to the last one had Brody in a tag match with former NWA champion Gene Kaniski, Ed Wiskowski, Easy Ed later, 
uh, right. you know, the Colonel De Beers, against the Funks in their Haystack Calhoun trainee, T. John Thibodeau. Yeah. On that card, there were there was the current NWA champion, Harley Race, who took on in the main event, Ray Stevens, and then the very last one, Pat Patterson. So neither Ray or Pat, to my knowledge, had ever wrestled for the NWA title except at the Cow Palace and against Harley. So the Funks, Harley, Dusty, and Kaniski all in on one Shire show, the second to the last battle. World. And you I don't know who the referee was for that, right? You, because I was going to have the Me. photo. You, I have, I sent you the sh- some shots. I hope that all of them. I only got you. one. You only sent me one. I'm going to have to develop a, of, of Eddie uh, reffing Ray Stevens. Historic match. Yeah, Roy asked me. And then, and then I, re- I refereed Ray Stevens and uh, Harley Race. I, ref- I refereed the battle royal first. And then I went back out at the last part to do Ray Stevens and Harley. Did that mean a lot as much to you as, you know? Oh, my God. It still does. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. If you you could get me those photos, I would be forever in your debt because I I only have one picture. But that's a great picture, though. That's a great shot I did send you. I know the one. For those of you that don't know, uh, Ray Stevens, really, uh, other than Buddy Rogers and George and Sandy Scott, but Ray Stevens gave so much to Flair when they were in mid-Atlantic, the the Mm -hmm. bump over the top rope and all that shit that Charlotte, his daughter, does now. That all was Ray Stevens, and, and Flair is always thankful and always puts Ray over for helping him and, and bringing so much of him and putting it into what Flair did as the Nature Boy character. That came from Ray Stevens. So much of it, the insane that bump. Correct. Most every correct. expert says that Ray Stevens, other than, I can't think, of, you know, was the most natural, other than Dick Murdoch, Ray Stevens was the most natural guy, didn't have to talk over matches, didn't have to work out worse. Bockwinkle and some of those guys would be, you know, hitting the weights and doing all this stuff to improve their body or, or whatever. Ray did not right. give a shit, ate and drank, smoked, and, and went out there and just five-star matches, even after his motorcycle injuries. There was, I think, two, not just right. the one. Uh, they, yeah, they, they were going to – he and uh, Pepper Gomez, 63 or 64, were going to main event the Candlestick Park where the Giants played. But Ray oh, my God, yes. At the last minute, he gets in uh, an accident, and they had to call that off. That would have been incredible. Outdoors. Thanks. Roy expected 30,000 people. That's what he expected on that that match that never happened it was it was like it was just a such a letdown for everybody i'm sure mostly for him but you know can you imagine the payoff with that event oh my god and we should say that roy shire for anyone that might say anything otherwise he bailed out Ray so many times and paid his taxes. You know, when the IRS oh, was pulling the man, that, he, Ray didn't believe in paying taxes, but Roy Shire bailed him out. And, you know, many times. Yeah. Is that many where Flair learned that? <laughs> <laughs> Possibly, John. You're right. Oh. He learned too much. I wouldn't, oh. I wouldn't doubt that at all. <laughs> no, what, so it's a for generational the, thing then with the taxes. Yeah, for the asshole that everybody thought Roy Shires was, and he could be, he was. He also did a lot of people a lot of favors too. Oh shit! He really did. But you mentioned about Al Tomko and working yeah. in Vancouver and stuff. But so mm-hmm. it reminded me, and I want to bring this up because Mike mentioned it in an email to me when we were yeah. talking about everything. He said you had some great stories 
from your days in Calgary. But he didn't go to Calgary. No, he said to ask him about Calgary, like one of the few places Eddie didn't work yeah. around the world. Okay. Here's what happened with me in Calgary. If you want that story, it's, I'll try go to make it. it brief. Okay. Red Bastine, when he was trying to get me booked out of here, when I first got in the business, Red's the one that started me. <clears throat> and Roy Shires told him, listen, Red, you got to get this kid out of here. He's never going to do any good here. He needs to learn to work, blah, 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 blah. So, Roy said, or Red said, I'm going to get you booked out. He goes, I got two places for you to go. He goes, you can go to Calgary or you can go to Vancouver. Which one do you want to go to? And I said, well, I've heard a lot about Calgary and I've heard some about Vancouver. I go, I go I'm go, i going to try Calgary. He said, okay. So he gave me the phone number. I call up Stu Hart. It takes 20 minutes to get <laughs> him to come to the phone. Ooh. <laughs> When he came to finally came to the phone, I was probably on there for about five minutes with him when he asked me, hey, hey, Dad, do you know, uh, do you know Luther Lindsay? He's a salty bastard. And I went, <laughs> uh, yes, I do. I know of him, uh, Stu, but w- the reason I'm calling is because I'd like to see if I could come in there. And he goes, well, hold the phone for a minute. So I said, okay. So I'm calling from Cal- California now, okay? And I'm calling Calgary, and that was back before they had, like, the long distance where you could you call any number around, and it was the same thing, right? Same price. Expensive phone like, call. Oh, my God, yeah. So we're not, we're on now for 25 minutes <laughs> after the five minutes of Stu going, you know, and all that. And so <laughs> I'm, I'm listening on there. You can hear a little bit, and I, I go, what the hell? They're eating dinner. <laughs> Stu put the phone down so he could go eat dinner. And somebody picks up the phone. I don't know who it was. They pick up the phone and I and they go, Hello? And I go, Hello, I'm I'm waiting for Stu. He goes, they go, he's eating dinner and hung up the phone on me. <laughs> and I never could get him back on the phone. I'd call up there, tell him, Yeah, this is Ed Moretti. I'm trying to get a hold of Stu. Uh, Stu's busy. Can we take your number? Never, never go back. So finally I sent some photos to, uh, Vancouver. Sander Kovacs, Sander Kovacs, right? He was already, yeah, but he was pretty much out of it. He'd only do the Vancouver Peony Gardens. He was out of the thing. It was, it was mostly Tom Cohen Kaniski now. And so when I sent the photos, I had been friends with Dean Ho from down here. I used to ride with Dean Ho sometimes. He'd let me ride with him before I was even in the business just to see what it was like and everything. And, and I'd pay trans. So Dean said, sure, you can come along with me. He knew I was half smart, so he didn't care. So when I sent my pictures to Vancouver, Dean sent the letter with my pictures saying, uh-huh. can you give this guy a chance? And that was in 1978. So October 9th of 1978, I made my debut in Vancouver, B.C. Semi-main event. Here's the thing. I get to Vancouver. I'm nervous as hell anyway. Right? I'm nervous. I don't know what they're going to do with me. Nothing like this. So I get the newspaper. I'm staying in a hotel. I get the newspaper and I go, I wonder if they have the wrestling card on here. So I'm looking through the newspaper, and I see uh, All-Star Wrestling Monday, October 9th, or something like that. I think it was October 9th, 
semi-main event, Ed Moretti versus Gene Kaniski. I went, oh, fuck. <laughs> this is a semi-main event. The main event was Moose Murawski under a hood against Jake Roberts. Wow. So, and I'm going, what the hell? Semi-main event with Gene Kaniski. <laughs> now, I heard Kaniski's like a salty bastard in the ring. <laughs> I was scared to death, number one. Number two, I was just like, you know, still pretty green, but I could I could at least follow him, but he was like trying to blow me up the whole time. Come on, kid, keep coming, kid, keep coming. In. <laughs> knocking the shit out of me, knocking the living shit out of me. And then one time he was gonna shoot me into the ropes and I said, switch. And he just kind of like grabbed me and took me down and said, don't you ever tell me anything. Oh. And I said, I was just telling you I was going to give you the switch. He goes, don't tell me anything. <laughs> but he didn't kill me because he could have, but he never did. I worked with him maybe two or three other times, and it was always like just a struggle. So I just was <laughs> like, if ever I had to work with Kanitsky, I'd go, oh, fuck, here we go. Sorry if I swore on the... On the You're game. fine. I don't know. Okay. But, but I know I know the other... I, I just didn't mean to, but I mean, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking back going, oh, shit. But, yeah, semi-main event. So, I mean, I did okay. I, he kept me in the territory, but it was just like, oh, my God. I don't well, know what they told him, you know, beforehand, but I was yeah. okay. And then and, I became the macho man with <laughs> thing with Piper for, for two shows. And then after that, I just kind of worked, uh, went on the road, I used to ride with Roy McClarity. He was the referee on the road and took care legend, of the, the legend. town. Oh, fantastic guy. Just uh, uh, He helped me so much. There, a bunch of guys helped me, but Roy really helped me a lot. Sweet Daddy Seeky helped me a lot in the wow. times. Wow. And, uh, yeah, so Roy was great. And uh, we, we used to hang out together. And Roy liked to talk about wrestling and old times and Vern Gagne stuff. So I, and I, he knew I was a a wrestling mark for that. So we could talk good. And he, he knew I was following what he was talking about because I go, Oh yeah, I've got a magazine with that in it and blah, 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 blah. And yeah. So that was my experience in Vancouver. And then luckily somehow I got to go to Japan. I think I was the only guy I think ever in the business that got to go to Japan before he was even a year in the business, but it wasn't because of my talent. It was because they were short a guy, somebody canceled and I was available I got to go to Japan, and it was a six-week tour for IWE, so Russia Kamura's group. With the Shozo, uh, Strong, Kobayashi, and uh, Thunder yes, Fugiyami. Yes. Who, who was yep. on the tour with you? That was your first tour of, of several in Japan. First tour, yeah, first tour with me was, uh, um, let me think back. It was Haystack Calhoun. Uh. Uh, what's his name? Came in for one week. Andre the Giant through through Vern. Because um, that office was affiliated, Jonathan, with the AWA. Right. All Japan was NWA, Tri-WF eventually with Anoki after he went through Thez and Johnny Valentine and Carl Gotch. And Correct. Those Correct. guys. Uh, Alexis Smirnoff, Bobby Bass. Wow. Uh, who else was there? Uh, Dynamite Kid's first Japan tour. Wow. He was fantastic. I didn't like him as a person, to be honest, but he was a fantastic worker. I mean, unreal. Those people in Japan's mouth were hanging open about this guy. 
Wow, wow, and wow. Uh, yeah, that was our that was our tour. And uh, I'm trying to think of anything anybody else was on there. I can't. That was 1978 or 79. What year was it? 78. I'm sorry, 79, July of 79. Ox Baker was also on that tour. Well, I'll put this, I want to throw this out there when it comes to Vancouver, and I'll wrap with my final question. But, and I think Mike can testify to this, but when it comes to Vancouver, and this is before. You know, cable TV and all that kind of stuff. But Vancouver was the territory <laughs> that showed nationwide across Canada. That's correct. And it wasn't Calgary. On CTV. Yes. CTV. Yep. And we we taped it out of Channel Channel Eight in Burnaby, California, or Burnaby, uh, Canada. And uh, yep, they they bicycled it all across Canada because when I went and worked in the Maritimes. For some reason, Emile Dupree was doing Jack Pfeffer in his brain and ca- called me L- Lenny Montana. <laughs> uh, and, and, and everybody in the whole Maritimes would chant, Moon Dog, Moon Dog, Moon Dog at me. And they were calling me Lenny Montana. So I'd sign autographs. Who was a wrestler as, who was in the first Godfather movie as an actor? Yes. That's, that, the real Lenny Montana was, yes. Yeah, the real. That's right. Yes. And by God, one of the best guys I ever worked with, not to change your subject, but Leo Burke. Fantastic. Fantastic. Leo is such a total legend. And we heard that he's got dementia now, like we were talking, you know, some of the other ones. He passed away now, I've heard. Oh, did he pass? Oh, I heard he passed. Yeah. Man, was this yeah. guy, he was so over as a face when he was a face. Just incredible. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I'm sad yeah. to hear that. But I know you said you didn't watch the current stuff for years. Right. But I did for see years. something, you know, interesting on uh, this thing called YouTube that you guys mentioned a few times I'm learning about. <laughs> YouTube? Yeah. yeah, exactly. But on there, what I saw and I found it interesting, and I don't know if Mike had seen this, but I was watching you do a little chain wrestling with your grandson. Yes. I'm glad you brought that up. And I passed Mike. I passed your uh, message along to my grandson, Nick Wayne. He's Buddy Wayne's son. Buddy Wayne passed away. God bless his soul. Two years or three years ago, and he was married to my niece, who we raised as our daughter. She's in the wrestling business, not as a wrestler or anything, but she manages her son, and sometimes she runs the wrestling school, the Buddy Wayne Wrestling Academy. Her name's Shana Edwards. And uh, Nick Wayne, uh, I passed the message to Nick to call you, Mike. So I hope he does. Wow. I, I hope so, too, because he is on the uh, Game Changer Wrestling Show in Los Angeles. I had no idea till I had on my other show Dave Prezek, who does Shimmer, but he also has done play-by-play for Ring of Honor. Now he's doing it and bringing in the women for MLW, but he is also the head, one of the head, lead play-by-play guys for GCW with Nick Gage at – you know, the, that hardcore yeah. legend. And it's so topical now because, of course, he main evented and uh, gigged uh, Jericho with a pizza cutter. And it cost <laughs> AEW, it cost them their sponsor, uh, I think it was at Pizza Hut or Domino's. Domino's. Right after the match, you know, Domino's runs a match with a, uh, a commercial with a guy on the commercial using a pizza slicer. This was after Nick Gage used it on Jericho. Right. 
And my my uh, grandson's name is Nick Wayne, and he will be at the Ukrainian uh, Cultural Center on October seventh uh, in Los Angeles on Melrose Avenue. So that's right in the heart of Hollywood, West Hollywood. That's a major entertainment area for Gen Y, Gen Z kids. So that thing should be sold up because they come. I didn't know. I had no idea. Game Changer Wrestling, GCW, comes to Southern Cal out of their Jersey home base like every three to four months. So, you know, obviously before the pandemic. I don't know if this is – do you know if this is their first show back after the pandemic in L.A.? I, I have I have no idea. I, he just – he just I saw it on the Internet. He didn't even tell me he was on the show. He just did one in Bellingham, Washington on wow. this past weekend. Wow. He's 16 years old. Sixteen in the business. Sixteen. Oh. Wow. One six. He'll be seventeen uh, in July. Let's see. No, he's seventeen then. He's seventeen, and so yeah, he's on his way. Boy, he can work though. I can tell you that much. Wow. He's a little small. He needs a little size, but he's still young yet. When he gets the size, look out because he can really, really move and. Um, yeah, they got a ring in their backyard. That's where they hold the wrestling school. And so he's in there every day and has been since the time he was like barely could walk. Wow. So that's a great story. That is a great story. And it, and I'll tell you, one of his biggest fans is uh, is Chico Alvarez because they live in the same area and he works out with him sometimes too. <laughs> and Brian Alvarez. Right, right. So, yeah. So, and he was Buddy Wayne's best friend. Uh, yeah, so, so, yeah. Circle. It's, it is a big circle, yep. It's a big circle. But for me, I'm out of the business. I still love it, but I'm out of the business, and I just don't watch the new stuff because it doesn't entertain me that much as far as, like, compared to our day. It just, you know, it's different. It's, it's, it's morphed. Everything morphs. Everything, everything goes to the next phase. And uh, so I'm, I'm mostly reading old books. Like I'm right now, I'm reading one on uh, Buddy Rogers, and then I got the Roy Shires book I got to read yet. But I'm a uh, patrol officer where I live. I've been doing that for 15 years, so it's kind of interesting. No one's gonna mess remember. with uh, Ed. Ed is like Dick <laughs> no, the well, it, that's the thing though. I, I got to pretend like I can shoot, but I don't shoot. You know what I'm saying? Like I gotta pretend like I can, just like well, the wrestling like the, days. Yeah, just like the Elton Owen days. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. You gotta work with people. You gotta work them, and people either buy it or they don't. You know. And so, I work in a housing association, and I'm, you know, we're the police basically without guns. That's what we do. Well, I want to actually end on a high note since you, the name was brought up again, Elton Owen, and yes. We were talking about Piper and all earlier and the half shoots and everything, but were you ever in the lock or were you in the locker room when the infamous cigar being stuck up people's asses for Elton Elton went and smoked happened? It happened all the time. (laughs) It happened all the time. And Elton would always, I I don't know how he didn't know this because he'd always, he always, you know, hit the cigar and go, Jesus Christ, I got to switch these brands. This one tastes like shit. Howdy, how? <laughs> <laughs> so, 
<laughs> so, yeah, we all go, oh, really, Elton? Oh, too bad. You go, well, you want to try? No, that's okay, Elton. <laughs> Those are your cigars, man. You keep them for you. Damn killer Tim Brooks. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He was one of the guys that would do it. But everybody do it after that. Everybody. Hey, I got shots of uh, Tim Brooks and uh, uh, Bob Orton Jr. They were <laughs> 1990. They were on a Tenru uh, SWS show. You know when he left all Japan, and uh, and, and it, that, that WWF would send guys. That was where the the Rockers uh, and, and Shawn Michaels and Gennetti told me, yeah, yeah, Vince, this uh, we're on this tour because. Uh, uh, Vince just fired us again, but, uh, but <laughs> Tim, Brooks, Tim Brooks was one of the funnest, nicest guys ever. He and, uh, uh, Orton Jr. started Randy's father. Yeah. Randy's father started a food fight backstage and Lanza was having a shit fit. Who was the agent mm. for all these guys. Coco Ware was participating in it. Uh, there was a uh, Jushin Liger's former famous opponent, Naoki Sano, Jeff Jarrett. Uh, it was, it was pretty insane. There was food all over the place. Bento box food. Right. Huh? That's unbelievable. Two last I things before I let you go. I, uh, I pulled up, I was going to watch it. I didn't know one of my best friends who passed away was with him in Japan. His one tour for new Japan was with him in Mexico, all over the place when he and Eddie Guerrero were there. Uh, as Gringos Locos, Art Bar was one of the great, yes, great. Yes. And here you are working all these matches with them, and also, oh when, yeah, we love to work each other. We uh, love to work each other. Beetle when juice. he was Beetlejuice, yeah, we yeah. loved it. He came in as the juicer. They they shortened the name for WCW, probably and not. Yeah, I know. Him. I remember that. I remember great that. Stuff. Yeah. Well, I was also want to end up greatest big man in the I've ever seen. Don Leo Jonathan, greatest big man wrestler mm-hmm. ever. Fantastic. And let's let Eddie, do you have any stuff to promote, plug, gimmicks, anything, charity? Just, no, no gimmicks. Just uh, just my, my grandson, Nick Wayne. Um, if you could get out and see him, and he's on Facebook, and he'll talk to you and answer anything you probably have to ask him. Um, if you can kind of support him and watch him and uh, that sort of thing, I would very much appreciate it. And uh, as for me, man, I'm just here in uh, – not not Hidden Valley Ranch, but Hidden Valley Lake. Seriously, there's a place called Hidden Valley Lake. It's 120 miles north of San Francisco towards, uh, towards Sacramento, and that's why I've been here for about 15 years. And I'm just doing my thing as a uh, patrol officer, but, you know, still miss the wrestling days. I'm sitting in my wrestling room right now looking around at all my posters and stuff going, man, I miss those days. But... It is what we didn't it even is, talk guys, about you with uh, uh, Butcher Brannigan in Australia. Hopefully, uh, we'll get you back in a few months and talk about all your foreign tours. That's a, probably a show right there. Yeah, it's New Zealand. New Zealand. Oh, for Steve Ricard? Did you work for it? Was yes, it Steve Ricard? Yeah. Steve, yes. Yes. Steve. Absolutely. Yeah, you could have me back anytime. Just let me know when, and I'll be happy to do it. Well, Moondog, Ed Moretti. Very honored Thank to do it. Thank you so much, sir. Thanks for having me on, guys. And, uh, Mike, I love you. Thank you for being you and sticking with me all these years. And I hope to talk to you again soon. You guys take care. Thank you. You will. We'll send you an observer. Combate Kurasaid. Domregato Gozani. Hi. Hi.
this brand is truly exciting and I'm so glad that they are starting to make a positive impact. Little Bean Soapery is a woman-owned small business based in Northeast Pennsylvania. Little Bean Soapery does so much as all products are handcrafted and offer many different things for both men and women. Soaps, scrubs, body butters, bath bombs, solid cologne, and much more. Little Bean Soapery also does things for special occasions such as birthdays, Mother's Day, Father's Day, and special seasonal gift sets. But also, let's not forget large orders for party favors by request. The great things about all products is that they are crafted to be nourishing on the skin. If you wish to check them out, please feel free to visit littlebeansoapery.com. Any questions, please feel free to also email littlebeansoapery at gmail.com for custom inquiries and or ask anything else you wish. Tell them that Elena from Crazy Train Radio sends you. Hi, I'm former WWE superstar Al Snow, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. Yeah. 